Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. Five, four, three, two, one. There's another world that awaits far beyond what we can see and feel. A place that's anything but ordinary. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. program that strives to answer those interesting questions, those that have compelled us for far too long. You know, those questions as far as if we are alone in the universe, there are many interesting questions, of course, but far more compelling than that. Have we been alone? Are we currently alone? I'm Jeremy Scott. Welcome to the program tonight across the USA. It is great to start another week with you. Uh, Blessed each and every time we have the chance to get together and immerse you through the airwaves. That's always fascinated me, the, the thought about whether or not we are alone. It's certainly something that mankind has wondered all the way since the beginning of time. And of course, was there a civilization on Earth before humans is also part of that whole equation. It wasn't uh, but a few months ago when we got some depressing news. Of course, these days, I don't put much weight behind much of anything, right? With all the fake news, with the censorship, uh, with the agenda that is uh, perpetrating throughout you know, media, and those who distribute the content. I'm well aware that not everything that we read, that everything that we see, is legitimate. And of course, you've got to consider the source. There was reason that Stanton Friedman referred to NASA as never a straight answer. But take it for what it's worth, which may only be with a grain of salt. A paper published last year from a group of NASA scientists make the case that ancient alien civilizations may have wiped themselves out before they had any chance of making contact with humanity. So a lot of talk these days with messaging 
extraterrestrial intelligence. Of course, there is searching for extraterrestrial intelligence uh, using lasers and uh, satellite beams and the whole nine yards message in a bottle to try to get some contact uh, with something else out there, something besides us. I suppose it is possible that either they wiped themselves out with some of these advanced weapons that they have, but this study actually makes the case that it is due to climate catastrophes on their home planets. Not from our planet contaminating theirs, as far as we know, but climate catastrophes on their own planets may have wiped out some of these ancient civilizations. It definitely is a very, very interesting point. And as far as those fast radio bursts that we continue to receive and don't really necessarily understand, but these strange bursts of radio frequencies that have been detected from outer space perhaps might indicate that there is some extraterrestrial intelligence behind them. Recently, there were 25 of this myster- these mysterious fast radio bursts that were picked up by the Canadian Hydrogen Intensity Mapping Experiment Radio Telescope, otherwise known as CHIME. But we don't know where they came from. Uh, what, what makes them repeating is exactly that. Uh, and sometimes they appear to be you know, bouncing back or repeating uh, among themselves. In fact, these are all seemingly originating from one location or the same location in space. Which is very interesting if, uh, if they're a, originating from some sort of alien planet. What if we were paying, uh, playing Marco Polo with extraterrestrials? And maybe that's what these fast radio bursts are. Um, possible, right? Now, as far as these radio transmissions, we have to, A, get them on the right frequency so we make sure that they get there, but we also have to know which frequency to listen on so that if, if there were a response, that we would actually pick it up. Recently, I've seen some Information about um, a return message as soon as 2029, which tells you this is not instantaneous communication. You know, this takes light. We're sending this light years away, and it's coming light years back. But apparently, there's supposed to be some sort of message coming back to us by the year 2029. Uh, you know, that that's what I'm hearing out there. Uh, that's just been making the rounds in the last week, which makes tonight's conversation even that much more timely. As I mentioned, you know, those those messages can take years, decades, even centuries to travel back and forth. And so if we 
if we ever detected some sort of extraterrestrial civilization and to start to communicate with them, we have to we have to be very, very precise with those communications. We also have to be very, very patient as well. Prepare to hand that one off to someone else before your your life or your time on earth is over. But if we received messages from aliens, then what? I mean, like if it's confirmed that we've sent some message and it, we they've received it, it's been acknowledged, and now we have received something back. I venture to say it would probably be earth-shattering. But what say you? Has another race tried to communicate with us? I mean, we certainly have heard about signals, the wow signal, and others as well that have been picked up over time. These fast radio bursts obviously could be a way in which they're trying to communicate with us as well. What about evidence, though, to support an ancient history of the extraterrestrial variety? Pull up a chair, because tonight we're going to uncover clues of an ancient close in, of ancient close encounters with Paul Anthony Wallace, who is an internationally best-selling author known for his series of titles on paleocontact. His studies in languages, linguistics, and theology have taken him around the world, probing ancestral narratives for their insight into human origins, human potential, and our place in the cosmos. As a senior churchman, Paul served for 33 years as a church doctor, a theological educator, and an archdeacon in the Anglican Church in Australia. His latest in the Eden series of books is The Eden Conspiracy, Ancient Memories of E.T. Contact in the Bible Before God. So good to have you back on the program, Paul. G'day, Jeremy. It's great to be with you. So what say you? Do you think that extraterrestrials have tried to contact us at any point in the past? Well, my Eden series argues that our ancestral narratives around the world, including the ancient texts of the Bible, the Hebrew canon, that they all bear witness to contact experiences in the past, and that many stories that we're familiar with in the Bible, telling them as God's stories, are actually the cultural memory of ET contact in the past. And so this is... This is part of the thesis of the Eden Conspiracy, not only that there are stories of contact, but that the Bible itself tells the story of how we forgot about that prior contact. I mean, I perhaps it is possible then that much like in the past, today perhaps we could be coexisting with uh, an extraterrestrial or an alien race. I think that is the case. Uh, it was just before Christmas 2020 when Haim Ashed stepped up to the microphone. He was the Brigadier General who for 27 years was the chief of Israel's space security program. So it was his job to know. And he said on the basis of his experience, his understanding was that we are already in contact, but at a covert government level and that our ET neighbors have chosen not to self-disclose until you and I have a fuller understanding of, quote, what space is, unquote, which is a very intriguing phrase. And people might have raised an eyebrow or two when he said that, but he was a very authoritative figure to be saying such things. And I pricked up an ear when I heard that because what he was saying was really only a repeat 
of what many indigenous narratives around the world have told us, that there is an ET layer to the governance of our planet. And you can hear that in cultures all around the world and all through the ages. Well, he men- he mentioned that we were in touch with some sort of federation, as uh, he called them, the Galactic Federation. The Galactic Federation, that's right. And so uh, he unpacked that a little further, but as the name suggests, that means that there are a number of ET demographics already in contact with us at a covert government level. I argue in the Eden Conspiracy that the Bible makes exactly the same claim. It talks about a sky council of Elohim, powerful ones who have a uh, hidden hand in the affairs of humanity. And as I say, those stories do repeat in cultures all around the world. So it's not news to be hearing that said, but what was new in 2020 was to hear it from somebody of that authority. Mind you, a decade before, we had heard it from the then Prime Minister of Russia, and that was Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev, who, while on microphone speaking to a journalist, said every new Russian Prime Minister is given a dossier detailing the other civilizations with whom we are already in contact. And he indicated it was a great number. And the journalist said, how many uh, ET civilizations are being in contact with? And he said, well, I won't give a number because I don't want to panic people, which I thought was rather amusing because he probably had said quite enough to panic some people by that point. Although some hearing Dmitry Medvedev saying that would have simply said, well, I think I'd joined the dots and worked that out already because we have heard from others previously who, again, were fairly credible people, people like the former chief of French intelligence, Alain Juillet, who confirmed that the uh, military intelligence of the USA had had a unit in place for 70 years investigating crash retrievals, UFO crash retrievals. So when he said that, that was a pretty authoritative acknowledgement of the UFO phenomenon and the strong suggestion that we're looking at ET tech. So there are lots of little pieces of the puzzle to bring together. And what I argue in my books is that there's actually a very coherent picture of contact that goes back through the centuries And we'll dive into that with Paul Anthony Wallace when we continue. Just getting underway with him, author of The Eden Conspiracy, I'm Jeremy Scott. Stick with us on Into the Paranormal. We'll be right back. Into the Paranormal. Walking Among Extraterrestrials, our episode tonight of Into the Paranormal, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Our guest is Paul Anthony Wallace. And Paul, you were saying right before the break about uh, looking back through some of these texts, you have found, uh, your words, a very coherent picture of contact uh, through the centuries. So uh, where do you want to begin with this? Well, it was a suspicion of mine uh, that I'd held for a long time from my background in theological education, because for 33 years I was in church-based ministry, and a big part of what I did was to train pastors 
in the analysis and interpretation of ancient texts. That's called hermeneutics. So providing them with the tools to get out of the texts what the writers had put in rather than, rather than reading stuff in. And it was really applying all the tools of that, uh, the analysis of sources, working out what kind of literature it is you're looking at. Is this the original form of the text? If not, what was the original? How does it differ? And then the fundamental question, what do the words mean? And it was really that last question that when I applied it to certain anomalies in the text, another story began to emerge. And some of the key words that we're familiar with translating as God have a root meaning that's quite different. So we have the Bible's oldest word for God is Elohim. It means the powerful ones. But once you realize there's this plurality of powerful ones, it begins to make sense of how the powerful ones get into conflict and have wars with each other. Thousands of humans are killed in the conflicts among the Elohim. That makes more sense than thousands of humans dying when God gets into an argument with himself. So some light bulbs go on when you start recognizing this plural word Elohim, these plural beings, whatever they were. And when you reread the stories that way, which is what I do in Escaping from Eden, the stories change, but not in a random way. They change and line up in parallel with the ancient source narratives from out of ancient Sumeria, Babylonia, Arcadia, and Assyria. And so the red pill moment for me was realizing that many of the Bible stories are a summary form of the Sumerian stories of sky people. And I think we have a word for sky people today, and it is extraterrestrials. And so that then threw up the enormous question, what does it mean for some of our God stories to be based on somebody else's stories of ETs? And that was the white rabbit that took me into the Mesopotamian corpus, and then all around the world, realizing there are parallel narratives told by every culture around the planet. Sky people, would then that refer to uh, some sort of craft as well, people of, of the sky, uh, maybe uh, a saucer or type of uh, craft? Craft are described in various narratives. The Bible talks about the Ruach, and we're given some detail as to what exactly a Ruach was, and Kavod was another word the Bible used for it. In the book of Ezekiel, we have an eyewitness account from the inside of a kavod, and he talks about the metallic textures, the glass texture of the canopy, the noise of the engine, the feeling of its vibration, the behavior of the wheels and the rotors as it flew him around uh, 3,000 years ago. So he told that as an experience that he had no grid by which to understand, so he just gives us the raw information. And in the 21st century, we can read the raw information and think, I think I know what he's talking about. Well, we go to Exodus 33, where we've got this pillar accompanied by a cloud and a fire that can launch and land vertically. Well, post-SpaceX and Elon Musk, we've all seen that. We know what that looks like. And so again, we have an idea what's being described Ancient uh, memories of ET contact. We'll continue with Paul Anthony Wallace right after this on Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott.
paranormal news. A lunar lander may have crashed into the moon. Hakuto RM1 from Tokyo-based company iSpace was on track to make the first private landing on the lunar surface before contact was lost at the very end. A live stream of the landing attempt cut away before returning with an update from the CEO. It was carrying a rover developed by the United Arab Emirates on its first mission to the lunar surface and a transformable robot from the Japanese Space Agency. Before its apparent demise, the lander captured a gorgeous picture of our planet sitting on top of the lunar horizon with the moon's shadow passing over Australia during a total solar eclipse. This wouldn't be the first time a moon lander has crashed. A similar communications loss occurred with Israel's Bereshit mission in 2019, indicating its demise. George Henry, Paranormal News. Researchers picked up what they are saying possible signs of life beyond Earth in the form of mysterious electromagnetic signals. We have accounts that are really all about our ancestors' prehistoric contact with ET species. This whole idea of a particular discovery might undermine organized religion. Like astral travel through space, you never know where you'll land. We can guarantee it will be you to the paranormal. We've uh, we've heard of those chariots of fire. It seems like that's what Paul Anthony Wallace was getting ready to describe. A pillar, a cloud, fire, something that can launch and land vertically. Uh, and you mentioned well before SpaceX existed. Yes, that's right. I mean, there's so much more that we can understand as 21st century people reading these ancient texts than generations of translators who worked on the texts in the interim. But there's there's so much that's described. We're told what these craft look like uh, as an eyewitness, seeing a launch or a landing, seeing the opening in the sky through which the craft appears. The feeling of flying in one, Ezekiel even has a go at describing the G-forces acting upon him as he's flown around by a life form uh, in his book, and he is distressed by it. He doesn't know what G-forces are, but he describes it so uh, internally that we recognize what he's talking about. All right. So uh, t- about the translation part, uh, I was talking about decoding messages from extraterrestrials, and uh, it's much the same when we're talking about uh, you know some of these ancient texts as well. Correct? Uh, how do you mean? Well, uh, the, you have to translate, or is it uh, because I know that the the translation sometimes can be subjective. Oh, yes, I see what you mean. Well, interestingly, uh, when you go to uh, the Hebrew scriptures in particular, all you need to do is go to the root meanings of the words concerned, because you're quite right, Jeremy, people can have disagreements about how to translate the words, how to use them. But there are two ways you can cut through all of that. You go to the root meaning, then reread the text using the root meaning and see if that makes better sense. 
And I show how, in many cases, it makes very much better sense. So I talked earlier about plural beings can have arguments and wars with each other. A single being can't. So it makes sense that Elohim is used in the plural. So that's an example of using a root meanings approach. Uh, but another thing you can do with the controversial words is to leave the words untranslated. And so I suggest if you go to some key words in the Hebrew scriptures, Elohim, El Elyon, El Shaddai, Yahweh, Kavod, Ruach, leave them untranslated and then see how they behave in the sentences. Find out what a Ruach does. How does a Kavod behave? What does an El Shaddai do? And you begin to recognize in the action of the stories what's going on, and it becomes blindingly obvious when you're looking at a story of invasion or colonization or a close encounter. As far as uh, your conclusions that you've you've made through some of these uh, translations, has that been met with scrutiny? Well, that's a really good question. I think you would find that among senior theologians in the Jewish world and in the Christian world, there would be a lot of theologians who know exactly what I'm talking about. So when I ask what are the implications of many of our God stories based on, being based on Sumerian stories of ETs, they know that that's the question. But it's not addressed in public because it's a taboo. So in that sense, I've not had a lot of pushback from the academic end of the world because they know what I'm talking about. Where I do get pushback from is from people in communities of faith whose pastors have not shown them these layers in the text. They have repeated the familiar stories and not really pointed out there's a question over what this word means. There's a question over what it was Ezekiel encountered. There's a question around the technology that's referenced in this portion of the Old Testament. And when the pastors don't do that, it doesn't give the people permission to see what they're seeing in the texts or to have the paranormal experiences that they're having or the close encounter experiences that they're having. And because the permission isn't given, it's taken as a taboo. So it's it's really from there that I get most of the pushback. Uh, perhaps rather than worshiping or bowing down to a god, uh, maybe it is that, w that we're bowing down the feet of an extraterrestrial. Well, this is that you have hit on the central point in the Eden conspiracy, which is that originally the tribes of Israel, they didn't bow down to or worship entities. They commemorated them. They remembered advanced beings their ancestors had met in the deep past, beings who had helped them make the great leap forward to become a civilization. And then there was a change in the 8th century BCE when the Bible as we know it began to take shape, where that narrative was shut down and replaced with a narrative of worship and obedience to one God. And the Bible records that shift and that change, which I find absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. As far as whether these things are, are good or bad, uh, there has been talk about, well, why haven't the extraterrestrials just come down and wiped us out by now? It was about a year ago that there was a study that uh, identified, again, take it with a grain of salt, as I said earlier when I quoted the NASA information, because we're still learning, and as we've heard you know, many times on the program, 
sometimes it can be contradicting uh, because everybody has a different way of looking at it and a different theory. But this study specifically that that I uh, I'm going to mention here identified four hostile alien civilizations that could potentially lurk in the Milky Way. So what do we know about whether or not these things are hostile or not? Yes, that's a great question. There's a phrase that the Bible uses for ancient visitors, which is the Tseva Hashemayim, and it means the sky armies. And that strongly suggests uh, dangerous technology or menacing technology. But in fact, in many of the world's stories of origins, including the book of Genesis, the stories of first contact are of benevolent contact. And so uh, indigenous cultures talk about ancient tutors coming and helping our ancestors learn how to farm, learn what plants are good for food, what are good for medicines, which should be avoided, which are good for uh, enhancing your cognitive abilities. This is all to help and to nurture human life. We have the Babylonian story of Oannes and the Apkalu, who came and visited and taught our ancestors how to build cities and to run a civilization. So that's all positive contact. And coming back to the Galactic Federation that Hayama Shedd spoke about, the suggestion there is that there is a kind of an uneasy truce among various demographics, some of whom have a positive agenda for us. Some of us are more interested in the planet and we might be in their way. And some of us who might not like us at all. And our ancestors spoke about a whole spectrum of agendas powerful ones sort of conflicting with one another over what should happen on Project Earth. And that's a story that uh, repeats all around the world. So what do you think about the Brigadier General's claim that we've been in contact with a with ET races at a covert level? Uh, might that still be going on today? Well, he claims it is. And as I say, it was his job to know. He's not the first person to say it. He's the most authoritative. Uh, Ed Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon, clearly believed exactly the same thing because even while bound by layers of official secrets laws, he continually campaigned for the U.S. government to declassify its UFO files and reveal that it is in contact. This was his continual claim. Paul Hellyer, the previous Minister of Defense for Canada, said exactly the same thing. And you put all these statements together alongside Dmitry Medvedev, alongside Alain Gillet, uh, they're all saying the same thing. We are in contact. We have been for a long time. It is just happening at a covert level. Any idea what, what the chances of contacting a hostile alien civilization that is incapable, uh, that is capable of invading our planet would be? Well, I do think we are already in contact. I think that's part of why there is a galactic federation, that the demographics who are interested in planet Earth are somewhat policing each other as to what happens here. So that is holding off the action of the more hostile visitors that we might have. But we've been invaded in the past, and many of the early stories of the Hebrew canon our stories our ancestors told about the experience of being invaded and colonized. Uh, are you referring to uh, Antarctica? Not, no, 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 I wasn't specifically. Actually, I was thinking about the stories in which there's a character in the Bible called El Elyon, the powerful one, more powerful than the others, 
And the Bible recalls how he parcels out different lands and people groups to different powerful ones. So that is a post-colonization story where, where the population of the earth is being carved up to be managed by non-human entities. And I argue that many of the world's ancient dragon stories are really our ancestors' ways of talking about that experience of being governed by beings who are not human. So that's not just Antarctica, that's the whole planet. Exactly. But there is at least evidence that we have battled uh, a, a species that we can't necessarily understand, which happened back in 1946 with Operation High Jump. So if, if it happened then, uh, you know, we could be led to believe that it could have happened hundreds of years before then as well. Yes, and, and thousands of years before as well. And I think that that is an experience that has repeated, and I think that we ought to be grateful we're in contact because some of those in high places are on our side. I believe there are demographics on that council from places like Sirius, places like the Pleiades, who are more uh, on our side, more there for our benefit than others. And we probably have them to thank for the fact that in recent history, we haven't seen a full-scale invasion or a war beyond the one you just described. I'm wondering if there are any drawings that are referenced uh, within the Bible or in other books of flying saucers and aliens, like hieroglyphics or anything of the kind. Oh, absolutely there were. Those carvings in particular were scattered throughout ancient Judea and throughout the Levant, and the books of Second Kings and Jeremiah and the Bible recall the time when the kings of Israel, particularly Hezekiah and Josiah, sent out the Jerusalem guard to destroy all those depictions. So to de- deface the carvings of the Tzeva Hashemayim that existed even within the Jerusalem temple, and to knock down the standing stones that marked the places where their ancestors had met these other beings, and then to destroy all the statues, reminding people what these ancient beings looked like. So we've got the story of the destruction of those images in those two books of the Bible, reminding us that those images were throughout Judea. And the most prolific one was the image of Asherah. Asherah was one of those who visited us with a positive agenda. Paul, when we come back, I'd like you to uh, give us the evolution of the series of your Eden uh, books uh, and and how they evolve, because this is uh, something that we've talked about with Paul, many different aspects that he's touched on each and every one of these in this series, uh, each one slightly different than the next, and so we'll give him the opportunity uh, to tell us about the series when we come back. Our phone number to join us, 503-506-0396 across North America and in parts of Canada. Otherwise, from anywhere in the world, you can tee us up at ITP51. Walking among extraterrestrials, huh? We'll be back. Into the Paranormal. Paranormal. It's a fascinating thought to think that uh, we're not the only ones around these parts, that there could be 
extraterrestrials walking amongst us, maybe even blending in with us. I know that creeps a lot of people out. We did a show many, many years ago, and I still hear from people about that to this day uh, when we talk about the hybrids and how they are sometimes undistinguishable or indistinguishable from us. My guest, Paul Anthony Wallace, his latest book, The Eden Conspiracy, Ancient Memories of E.T. Contact in the Bible Before God. Paul, talk about this series and how it uh, came to be and how it has evolved. Well, Escaping from Eden was my first title in uh, Paleo Contact. That's the theory that our ancestors in the past had contact with E.T. civilizations. And it came about through my work in Bible translation. My background was in 33 years as a church doctor and a theological educator. And as I said before, it was translating these key words that suddenly opened up another narrative hidden in plain sight in the Bible. And so in Escaping from Eden, I share that journey with the reader, show how I made the journey from mainstream, orthodox Christian teaching to something that was open to this whole other story. And then I compare notes with other disciplines with disciplines of neuroscience, uh, DNA analysis, uh, cosmology, and recognize that there are correlations in other disciplines and other narratives around the world. So that's the journey I take in Escaping from Eden. And then the next in the series, The Scars of Eden, really asks the question, so what? What difference does it make whether human origins lie in a God story or an ET story? And so I show what difference it's made what difference it's made to the evolution of our society, our psychology as a species. And I bring it into the present as well and show how experiences of contact in the present relate to experiences of contact in the past and just lift the lid on that ET layer of human governance. And then in Echoes of Eden, I go back to an implication that if our story of origins is different, then we are not who we thought we were, and our human potential is different to what we thought it was. And it is the indigenous narratives of the world that hold all these stories together, stories of ancient contact, stories of human origins, and modalities and approaches to unlocking the higher cognitive abilities that we have as homo sapiens. So having made that journey in in those three, I then circle back to the Bible and the Eden conspiracy. And I asked the question, what were those stories really about then? So if there were ETs in the original version of these stories, what were the stories about? What was it our ancestors wanted to know? And I discover it's not just that we should know we're in a populated cosmos. They were teaching things about emotional intelligence, social progress, hidden hands in politics and economic life and helping us to learn to recognize the patterns so that we can have a better human experience in this rather complicated, layered world. And one thing that I've known uh, kind of as a theme throughout the series is a picture of an astronaut. Uh, Is there a significance to that? Well, it it represents a journey. So uh, the cover of Escaping from Eden, someone is escaping from somewhere, and you have to read the book to find out where. And then the next image is of an astronaut who is viewing the planet Earth from a distance. So who is that? Where have they come from? And why are they going to Earth? What's going to happen when they get there? 
Then the next is an image of an astronaut in the middle of a forest. And there's this feeling that he's out of time. So is this an ancient astronaut? Is it an ancient visitor? And then in the Eden Conspiracy, we have an image of an astronaut who's peering at the Sumerian tablets. It's actually part of the Sumerian kings list. And so it's clearly implying there is a connection between spacefaring and what was written about by the most ancient culture we know of on the planet who have left behind a written heritage. And so it's joining the dots and saying there's something to find in those old Sumerian stories that has to do with the cosmos. Fascinating conversation that has only just begun with my guest, Paul Anthony Wallace, author of the Eden series of books, which you can find at paulanthonywallace.com or his other website is fifthkind.tv, where you can sign up and see lots of fascinating programs over there. We'll continue with our fascinating program here, Walking Among Extraterrestrials into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Hear Paranormal News with George Henry, exclusively on Into the Paranormal. So much so that it's built into our theme song, We Are Not Alone. That is my uh, my opinion. And that's Johnny Cobb and Jerry McCoy. Uh, that was our original theme song, which we debuted in 2019. Of course, then we have the, uh, the main theme song, which uh, we've been using since 2020. And we've got actually the full library from Johnny Cobb and Jerry McCoy on their UFO and abduction material in our store, which is up and running at parabnormalradio.com. 10% off through the, uh, I think we're going to extend it through the end of the month. I have Memorial Day on there, but it's going to be through the end of the month. Uh, 10% off. I mean, we're not making much on this stuff anyway, and uh, it's... It's mostly for you so that you can uh, represent the program. I just got my mug today. I got the black one, and I've got uh, a couple other things that are on display. I'll I'll be taking pictures of all of those and posing with those. But it's in the store right now where you can find the digital music download for Johnny Cobb and Jerry McCoy. Taken on a UFO is what we've called that album, but it's available in the store now at parabnormalradio.com. We've got some shirts up there. We've got mugs. We've got uh, we've got a cute little magnet and go on your uh, refrigerator. Uh, we've even got uh, a couple of uh, uh, 
well, several T-shirts available and a hoodie as well. Uh, and, of course, if there's something that you want that we don't have up there and we can make it for you, uh, we're certainly in, interested in doing that. Or if you need additional sizes or, or colors or whatever the case happens to be, just hit us up. There's a contact button. It actually works. I've already talked to a few people today, and it means so much uh, when I hear from you. I know you're out there listening. I know that you care, and, uh, you know, I care about this program so much. Uh, talking with Paul Anthony Wallace tonight, he's author of... Uh, the recent book, The Eden Conspiracy, Ancient Memories of E.T. Contact in the Bible Before God. As we start our second hour here, um, I'm going to turn it over to Paul and actually give him the floor uh, to make uh, any point that you would like uh, in particular at this point in time. Yes, I think that um, this is a really exciting time to be looking into this topic because uh, partly because of the health emergency that we had in the last couple of years. There have been far more people with the freedom to follow their curiosity through YouTube and other things like that. But because of other things going on in the world as well, I am finding that there is a stronger appetite now for the kind of topics that you discussed, Jeremy, than ever before. I concur. I think the the internet has opened this up for people around the world. In the States, there's been a tradition for, for a long time, going back to Art Bell and to local radio stations who allow people to call in and report their experiences. So it's a slightly different experience in the States. In the rest of the world, we haven't had the opportunity to hear that kind of experience. And so a lot of us in other parts of the world are playing catch-up with the whole aspect of are we in a populated cosmos, are we in company? And so I found it a very exciting time to be coming along, especially from my ministry background, and saying, yes, absolutely, we should be having these conversations. And this is a very good reason for anybody to be looking at the Bible, whether they're interested in God or religion or not. There are other things in there that are really very important if we want to know where we've come from and where we might be going. And when we get into the Sumerian stories, the source narratives of the Bible, those are narratives that don't belong to any religion at all. There's no sales pitch that comes with those ancient texts. They're not trying to make you do anything in particular. They are just giving information about our deep past that reframe how we understand the present and what you and I might be capable of. Now, what we've been talking about tonight, the theory that intelligent extraterrestrial beings or ancient astronauts visited Earth sometime in the past has a name, doesn't it? Radio contact is the name of that theory. That's right. And, I mean, we say theory, but it is the story of the ancestors. So if you go to Mesoamerica, listen to the Mayan story. It's the story they tell. If you go to the Zulu people of Southern Africa... It's the story of beginnings they tell. If you go all down the western seaboard of Africa, the story repeats there. If you go to Greece, paleocontact is actually part of how history is taught. It's not in some esoteric elective subject that you might choose. When in Greece, people are taught about the origins of Greek culture, ancient Greek culture, they will be hearing stories of paleocontact and ancient abduction, which is something you mentioned earlier. I had this experience when I went to Crete, and we saw the megalithic remains of the Minoan culture, incredibly advanced culture that 
built incredible cities with sanitation, air conditioning systems in their buildings. And when I asked the guide, how did the Minoans manage to come up with this? Why were they so advanced? He said, well, because the progenitor of the Minoans was a hybrid. He was part human. He was part something else. He was the hybrid child of a being called Zeus and a daughter of the king of Phoenicia. And suddenly I realized the whole of Europe is named after that individual. The whole of Europe is named after an E.T. abductee. So that's how close the story of E.T. contact and abduction is in ancient Greek culture. In other cultures, it seems more separated, and we, we think of it only as fable. But it is there in the folkloric layer of story to be found in cultures all around the planet. As far as these advanced uh, civilizations, if they were advanced, we could uh, propose that maybe they uh, have advanced technology, certainly the craft in which they use to travel here, uh, but that they may have left some of that technology here on Earth for us to find or try to reverse engineer or whatever it is. Yes, very possibly. And uh, after I published Escaping from Eden, I started hearing from a lot of veterans of war, and in particular, veterans who had been involved in the Allies' incursion into Iraq in 2003. And people were contacting me saying, Paul, what do you know about portal technology or Stargate technology? And the reason they were asking me that is that they had gone into Iraq believing that they were there to uh, sequester weapons of mass destruction or to free the Kurds or to free Iraqis from despotic government. But they found their particular unit wasn't there to do any of those things. They were on an archaeological mission. And some were on an archaeological mission to retrieve the sarcophagus of Gilgamesh, the crossover king in the Sumerian story, because they wanted to test whether that was a human king or whether it was something else. So there was that mission. But then there were others who were on a mission looking for Stargate technology. And people who contacted me wanted to know, what's the credibility of that? Is that really possible? And I had to say, well, I don't have privileged information, but what I can tell you is that if you go to the Bible and the Sumerian accounts, uh, Iraq is where you would go next if you wanted to find actual technology. And if any military intelligence on the planet thought there's any possibility of a previous civilization with that tech, they would want to get hold of it first. And then on top of that, yes, portal technology is a real scientific field of study. NASA is very public on its website. You can go and find they've been researching portal technology for at least 30 years. And 30 years ago, they were already measuring the mass of matter that travels through a wormhole just nearby planet Earth and asking the question, can we fly a craft through it? So that's one example of ancient tech that's been looked at, that's been sought, that's been fought over. But I think there are many other smaller pieces that you'll find secreted away in the Vatican Library, in the libraries of Portugal and Spain, maybe at the Smithsonian as well. But as far as why this uh, information was removed from the Bible, was that a deliberate act? Yes, it was a deliberate act. In the 8th century BCE, the leaders of the tribes of Israel based in Jerusalem wanted to recreate the nation as a theocracy. 
uh, with a monotheistic religion to tie everything together. So you've got one god at the top, one king, one high priest, one temple. But to do that, they had to get rid of all the other priesthoods, all the other temples, and write off all the other cultural memory that existed. So the memory of entities like Dagon and Asherah and El of Ekron and the other Elohim had to be gotten rid of. So those stories were reworked, all the carvings were destroyed, all the sacred sites were demolished, and it was a very deliberate effort to get rid of that whole layer of cultural memory and replace it with a neat and tidy monotheism. So it happens within the narrative of the Bible, and then you look at the history of empire and international conquests, and you see that repeat time and time again. As Spanish, Portuguese, British, Dutch forces have gone into other people's countries, sought to delete the cultural memory that was there and replace it with Orthodox or Catholic Christianity. So what we've done through history is really a restatement of what we see happening in the Bible itself. And it was King Hezekiah who kicked that process off. King Josiah continued it, and then it was finished off in the time of Ezra. The whole story told there as there's a reinvention of what Judaism was until it was neat and tidy monotheism. So do the extraterrestrials have their own religion, Paul? I think no is the simple answer, but I think some of our company is very interested in us because I think human beings have a unique blend of qualities. We've got something very special from our earthling heritage, our mammal sensitivities, our animal strength. And I think we have a capacity for love, compassion, imagination, creativity, spirituality that is actually better than what a lot of our neighbors experience. And I think some of the reason behind the hybridization program is that our visitors want more of what we have in their gene pool, that we're actually further along than them. So it may be us who has the better spirituality or the better potential in that area than those who are visiting us and interfering with us. Hmm. So is that perhaps why they look a little odd to us, like uh, mantis or greys or whatever the case happens to be, is because maybe they're striving to look more like we do? Well, I think, yes, uh, for some, there may be an appearance thing to it. And in the Bible, it says in Genesis 6, that the visitors, the Bene Elohim, who came and did the hybridizing, did so because they thought Earth girls were hot. That's what it says. So uh, for some, it may be our physicality. It may Caliente. be our appearance. <laughs> But uh, I think there is a spectrum of life in the cosmos. There's a spectrum of life on Earth. And there may be planets where uh, it is an insectoid form of life that has dominance. They might not find us attractive or a reptilian form. and They might not find us attractive. And we certainly have plenty of cultural stories of finding our visitors scary rather than attractive. But then others where we are fascinated. Just don't go watching the movie Fried Berry. Have you heard about or seen that, Paul? (laughs) No, I haven't. Should I not see it? Yes, you should see it because it will change your life. Uh, We'll have more with Paul Anthony Wallace. Uh, I'll tell you about it when we come back. It's crazy. Into the Paranormal.
Yeah, if you uh, meet one of these face-to-face, an extraterrestrial, that is, they may or may not look exactly like you and I. In fact, chances are they are not going to look like you and I do. Their uh, appearance, uh, as Paul was saying, well, they may not find us attractive. Certainly, we may not find them attractive either. And just thinking about appearance... uh, led me to remember the movie Fried Berry, which I just saw for the first time. Uh, it's been out since 2020. I think it was a pandemic movie. And it's uh, it's about Barry, uh, who literally uh, fries himself on drugs, sex, and violence, uh, gets abducted by aliens, and then uh, the alien controls or assumes control of his body and uh, goes on for a joyride. So yes, absolutely, Paul. Watch the movie. Um, I was just very surprised that I that I found that at the local library. Actually, uh, definitely not not kid friendly. Uh, I don't think. But as far as the uh, appearance, you mentioned that they may not find us attractive, and that's also why we may be uh, alarmed at their appearance as well. I think there's the full spectrum of appearances that we have beings that if we see them will terrify us, whether they're hostile or not, because they look so different. There may be other beings with whom we're in contact who we never see because they may be interdimensional entities or they may communicate telepathically rather than turn up in our living room. But then I do think we may have company of an ET kind that we might miss. This certainly happens in the Bible where people have encounters, and it's only after the encounter that they realize that was not a human being that they were talking to. And one example of that would be Abraham and Sarah's close encounter that precedes the birth of Isaac. And in the Scars of Eden, I talk about experiences of my own, And in Echoes of Eden, I talk about other people's experiences, which at the time I interpreted as either uh, an encounter with a strange kind of person or an encounter that I thought was an angelic experience because I was coming from an evangelical Christian perspective. And now, decades later, I look back and say, I think something else was going on there. So those incredibly beautiful people who I met who never seemed to speak, who seemed to communicate with each other telepathically, and I was just entranced staring at them in a shop, maybe there's another layer to that story. It sounds like a story of nothing, but I share it because I think there wouldn't be a family group or a friendship group anywhere that if you sat them down and said, have you ever experienced something you couldn't explain People will have stories like that where they don't know what it was, but they know they have never got their head around what it was that happened. And as we pool our stories, we'll realize what they add up to is we have company. Interested in your thoughts on, uh, you know, I mean, we were... There are early humans known as the Neanderthals. We've heard about civilizations potentially wiping each other out. Uh, my question is, were some of these ancient visitors uh, non-physical beings, or, 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 or were they entirely physical beings? Well, there are some stories that are, are clearly physical, 
and their physicality is described and their interaction is described as physical interaction. And it is possible that, uh, as we discover more and more kinds of hominid from the ancient past, that we might be uh, digging up relatives who had a little bit more or a little bit less ET in them than we do. Again, there's a great spectrum of experiences. I, people say, why have we never dug up a Pleiadian if we had Pleiadians visiting us? And I ask, well, how would you recognize one? Yeah, exactly. More with Paul Anthony Wallace. We're at our bottom of the hour break point, And we'll continue on Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. You don't score big if you don't try. A 3,000-mile journey from Pennsylvania to Maine and back by filmmaker and amateur meteorite hunter Tyler Transu has ended. On his second day of searching the woods for a meteorite, he found something and then had it analyzed by the Maine Mineral and Gem Museum in hopes of claiming their $25,000 reward. Sadly, the results of a chemical composition revealed that it was not a meteorite. I found a dark black magnetic rock submitted for analysis and I just got the test results back. It looks like your boy found a piece of slag. But he still considers himself lucky to have been close enough to hit pay dirt. The museum offered up the reward and NASA identified where debris may have landed after witnesses in early April reported a very bright fireball with a glowing tail. George Henry, Paranormal News. They came and built the pyramids. They came and built the Mayan temples. They came and built the Indian Kailash temple. Here we have this large pyramidal structure, and the witnesses, they can't believe their eyes. We have this story about these fallen angels that came down and had sex with women. You must recognize that when the ancients are speaking about God, there is no other term that we can use to describe these experiences other than extraterrestrial. Anything that you cannot explain that's happened on this planet. So there must be aliens. What's interesting is that you actually have Noah's father, Lamech, questioning whether or not Noah is his son. Noah's exterior is described as very foreign. What if Noah was one of the extraterrestrials? Between twilight and the witching hour, there's a place we call Into the Parabnormal. Yeah, that's walking among extraterrestrial kind of music. I'm Jeremy Scott. Final half hour with Paul Anthony Wallace, the new book, The Eden Conspiracy. Ancient Memories of E.T. Contact in the Bible Before God. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the DNA makeup and uh, whether or not these beings are physical. Uh, so I'll let you wrap up that point, Paul. I would say that there are many stories uh, to be found in ancestral narratives around the world that identify beings who are strangely similar to us. And in fact, part of the story of our origin is that we were engineered or modified to look like our visitors, to look like our colonizers. 
And so they're 3D in the same way. They're interested in similar things. We have to provide them with uh, edible offerings as well as other things that are precious to them. So there are very definitely 3D creatures involved. But then there are other experiences as well that belong to Indigenous cultures that would suggest either remote communication or contact with beings who are interdimensional uh, in some fashion. And one person who speaks about that is the ancient Greek philosopher-scientist Plato, and he was very open in saying that some of his thinking had come from contact experiences of that kind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you make about uh, the structures? We heard a little bit about the, the pyramids, and I know that there are others as well that have been built uh, around the world, uh, you know, predating the machinery in which to accomplish these feats. Yes, that's right. I remember going to Egypt and looking at the fascinating sites and artifacts that they have there. And every time I saw something that was really advanced, I'd say, oh, my goodness, where did that come from? And the answer would be, oh, that's pre-dynastic. So that's saying it's before everything we know about the ancient Egyptians. It's from what went before. And you then ask, well, what went before? And they say, well, it was just farmers. So farmers had more advanced tech than everything we know about the ancient Egyptians. How is that possible? Because there's no evolution of that technology to point to. And it seems very unlikely you would leap from farming to being able to build a pyramid all of a sudden. And the same question can be asked of Gobekli Tepe, because it's just down the road from a site that's been identified as the first farm that we know about, the beginning of the Great Leap Forward for Homo sapiens 10,000 years ago. And so there was a team went in in 1998 that identified this farm where we first learned to cultivate crops and do animal husbandry. So how come just a few hundred miles down the road you've got a megalithic site that is far bigger than we first imagined? Who built that? Because prior to farming, all you've got is foraging and hunter-gathering. Are those the people who built a megalithic city? And it's the fact that there's no evolution for the technology that produced these ancient sites that suggests that what you're looking at is a previous civilization about which we know next to nothing. As to where their expertise came from, well, that's another question. As to whether or not they had ET support, that's another question. But at the very least, we can say it's a civilization prior to anything we know about. And so possible that uh, this civilization could have been aided by the one previous to it. Yes, I do think that is part of the picture. And I think in southeast Turkey, that's probably what happened about 10,000 years ago. But that doesn't explain away the Great Leap Forward story, because how had the previous civilization made that leap forward? And why is it? that we have cultures in North America with the Native American traditions and Aboriginal Australian traditions who will say very specifically where they learned their agronomy from, and they will say it was from beings who came from the Pleiades, who met with our ancestors and taught us all the rudiments of agricultural science. And that was how we made our great leap forward. So I don't think you can dismiss those stories, and especially when you've got a story that repeats from China to Mesoamerica to Australia to North America. Why would everyone invent the same story? It's there in Zulu story as well.
What about abductions? I know that came up briefly in our conversation earlier, Paul. Is that uh, something that is included in the ancient text? Yes, the abduction story is there in the Bible in Genesis 6. It's unpacked in greater detail in the book of Enoch. But really there's language for it that exists all around the world, very developed language in the Philippines that talks about this experience of abduction. And I got into that in the scars of Eden through my roots in Ghana. That's the land of my father's on my father's side. And I've discovered I've got very close connections through my family with people who've experienced abductions, mammy water abductions, they're known as, referring to people who come from bases under the sea and they take human beings for hybridization. And so people will disappear for two or three years and then they'll reappear. And the story they come back with is I was abducted, I was used for hybridization. Now, people don't make that story up to get a better job or to make their family love them more. It usually has the opposite effect. You might find it hard to get a job. You might be more likely to be medicated. But it's a story that repeats all up the western seaboard of Africa, uh, Cuba, Haiti, the Caribbean have these stories, the Philippines, Wales has this story. And the details that repeat are absolutely uncanny. And so I give credence to that. And I think when people report it in the present, we should listen with a more open ear because it's such an ancient, longstanding experience. Seemingly, then, if they were taken by these people from the sea uh, for some sort of hybridization, that they may have been taken underground? Yes, uh, the stories usually go that the bases are under large bodies of water. So whether that's Great Lakes or whether that's under the oceans. And so it's it's a human-friendly environment. They're air-breathing, but they are in an underwater base, and that is how they keep their presence covert. That's all part of the ancient story. And then uh, hybridized uh, through, uh, you know, pregnancy. Yes, that's right. And so they are clearly similar enough to us that they are compatible with us for hybridization. I mean, we can't at the moment, well, maybe we've just about reached the point where we can splice DNA from other mammals, but I think our visitors are a little further down the track with their DNA splicing than that. And it's so interesting that many of the world's stories of beginnings start with language that is very redolent of the idea of DNA splicing. And again, it's an experience that translators 300 years ago had no language for. Today, we've got IVF, we've got artificial insemination, we've got DNA splicing. We have an idea what hybridization means in a way that our ancestors didn't when they simply repeated the old stories. So perhaps the aliens uh, gave us CRISPR. (laughs) Well, it's entirely possible. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. So what do you think uh, the agenda is here? Uh, Were they trying to help us? Were they they exploiting us? It's interesting because many of the experiences of this phenomenon come back and they say, actually, I quite like the beings who took me. Uh, They didn't take me by force. They sort of enticed me with promises of better health and some kind of an advancement through the experience. It grieved me that I couldn't contact my family, but actually quite like them. 
And it's not what people want or expect to hear from abductees, but that's very often the story they come back with. I think the hybridization is happening for the benefit of our visitors, either because they've got too limited a gene pool or because they really want some of the advantages that we have. I do think that our our emotional capacity, our spiritual capacity, our physical robustness is something that does make us attractive to some of those who visit here and who have been visiting for a very, very long time. And Paul, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about the ancient past, but would we be led to believe that this is still a thing of today's times? It is still a thing of today's times. If you think about abduction narratives, you can go to um, countries around the world, and what is being described is the same as what people were describing centuries ago. The Mami Water tradition of Ghana is centuries old, even though the Mami Water name for it only dates from the 1800s. And I think it's a great shame when people have experiences like this, and in Echoes of Eden, I tell the story of a friend of mine, a veteran of war, who had an abduction experience, and he's told virtually nobody, because we generally respond to these stories with ridicule, or we assume that $50 from the National Enquirer explains everything, whereas in fact they're describing an experience that is ages old, that was studied 400 years ago by the Presbyterian minister Robert Kirk, that was told thousands of years ago by indigenous cultures, and the experiences in the distant past were listened to with respect, and they had language to say, ah, you've just encountered one of these beings. Whereas today, we act as if we've never heard a story like that before. And it's so isolating to people who've got nothing to gain from claiming an experience like that. And it's unnecessarily damaging and isolating. We only impoverish ourselves if we refuse to listen to people's stories that don't fit with our mainstream narrative or maybe our religious worldview. Paul, you're certainly one of the smartest people that that I know uh, who talks about human evolution. Uh, Do you think that these perhaps, uh, not all of them, but some could be humans from our future? Yes, I have heard that suggested. Um, I suppose that's conceivable. I haven't found anything in ancestral narratives to suggest that. I haven't found anything in the Bible that that repeats that idea. And I don't think it's because they hadn't thought of time travel. I'm sure they had. So there's no data I can point to that would reinforce that. And at face value, what our ancestors spoke about was beings from other regions of space. And they were very specific what parts of space, the Pleiades, Sirius, Orion and maybe previous civilizations, because there's an acknowledgement of those, although there's kind of a strange taboo in indigenous stories around what went before in previous civilizations, but nothing as yet that says this is us from the future. I understand the idea. I just haven't found any data to support it. Okay, what would be the strangest among those? The strangest of what? Uh, of those, uh, of the indigenous uh 
stories that you mentioned? Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. I think the strangest I've found so far would be from the Northern Territory of Australia. Uh, the Yongu people tell a, t- a, a time when their ancestors were in the Northern Territory and bearing in mind that the Aboriginal presence in Australia goes back at least 60,000 years as a continuous culture. That's the current scientific consensus. So this story could be that old. And they identify so closely with the land that I was very surprised to hear this story a time when the ancestors of the Yongu people didn't know what plants were good to eat, what should be avoided, how to hunt, how to fish in that part of the world, but that there were others there before them. So this could be a story of their arrival in that part of Australia, or it could be their great leap forward story. And they say that the beings who taught them were incredibly thin and tall and wiry, and they were so thin and spindly that they could blow away on the wind. We've got to take a break. It's our final break with Paul Anthony Wallace, and we'll wrap up our conversation. Into the paranormal. It is a fascinating thought to wonder how we got here and from whence we came. Paul Anthony Wallace, my guest. The Eden Conspiracy, Ancient Memories of E.T. Contact and the Bible Before God is his brand new book, and that is available now from paulanthonywallace.com. He's also got fifthkind.tv. So we were talking about this, uh, I guess, the arrival of humans going back to the northern terrorist Tories of Australia and reports of these beings that were thin and tall and kind of spindly. And uh, please continue with that story, Paul. Yes, so the bizarre note was being able to blow away on the wind and arrive on the wind. Uh, But it caught my attention because you listen to ancient Sumerian story and Genesis 1, and the idea of advanced beings arriving on the wind, and you don't know how they got there, and they disappear on the wind, and you don't know how they disappeared, That is a theme that repeats around the world. And in fact, the word ruach, which gets translated as the spirit of God, actually implies a wind or a movement of air. And with that movement of air, these advanced beings turn up. So I was intrigued to hear that repeat in the Northern Territory story. But it's just another acknowledgement of an ancient people group saying that our great leap forward was facilitated by beings that were not human. And Paul, our ancestors also had a warning to us, uh, a warning about what? Governments, uh, geopolitics, that sort of thing? Our ancestors clearly wanted us to know that no understanding of the world is complete until you realize there is a non-human hand in the affairs of governance over human beings, and specifically an ET hidden hand. And I think very often when you see uber policies that don't change despite a change of government or policies that suggest no common feeling with ordinary human beings, I think that non-human hidden hand might be an explanation behind it. And in the scars of Eden, I look at the history of warfare as a, a very fruitful place to go and look if you want to see evidence that there's something other than a human agenda for planet Earth. I'm wondering if there's any mention of time travel or the manipulation of time. 
through your research? I haven't come across that as yet. As soon as I do, I will let you know, Jeremy, but uh, it's not been in any of the narratives I've studied to date. All right. Any other uh, paranormal-related phenomenon that you've uncovered? Absolutely. I think many of the ancient stories that talk about this version of our origins say that we all have higher cognitive abilities that we can learn to switch back on, that those who governed us in the past found ways of dumbing us down through putting things into the environment that would brain damage us. But every culture has shamanic and mystical approaches to reactivating higher cognitive powers like remote viewing, future viewing, self-healing, telepathic connection. Those are things we're all capable of. And the real science of acquired savant syndrome, again, suggests we have far more abilities than the ones we generally engage. And that's one of the really exciting, therefores that flows from this other story of human origins. Paul, it's always a fascinating conversation to get together with you and to talk about uh, ancient contact. Uh, I do encourage folks to check out the series of books, uh, the latest, The Eden Conspiracy, Ancient Memories of E.T. Contact and the Bible Before God. Uh, Tell folks about uh, where we can pick that up and also about uh, your television channel. Sure. If you go to Amazon, you will find The Eden Conspiracy and all my Eden books. You'll find them on Amazon and Kindle. Escaping from Eden is also an audiobook. Go to fiskind.tv for documentaries and interviews. You can find me also at paulanthonywallace.com. If you want to do coaching with me, go to paulanthonywallace.com. And you can find the Paul Wallace channel and the Fifth Kind TV on YouTube. I'm in the comments every day having conversations with people, and I will look out for you there. I appreciate it, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Best to you. Thanks, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure. Always uh, good to talk with uh, Mr. Paul Anthony Wallace. Uh, Check out our other broadcasts that we have available with him at parabnormalradio.com. And while you're there, we encourage you to stop by the store. Uh, Your support uh, helps us, goes a long way. And we've got some cool stuff there that's readily available with 10% off through the end of the month by clicking the store at parabnormalradio.com. And join us at the McMinimins UFO Fest. If you're in the Pacific Northwest or you don't uh, want to take a drive, we'll be down there on May 19th. And we've got details up at parabnormalradio.com. And you can get your tickets for the other events uh, that are going on uh, at ufofest.com. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, I'm Jeremy Scott. Good night. And God bless. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.